should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, 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 welcome to Tuesday. It is the second week of December, so which means we're halfway through 2015, uh, I'm halfway through the last month of 2015, so that means we only have two weeks left in 2015 to either figure out life or make peace with the fact that you're going to get older next year. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Our producer, Fong, is in studio, and of course it is Tuesday, so we get our treat. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Hello, hey, Michelle. John. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about 2015 ending? So it, it feels so abrupt. Um, it's actually the same length as every other year, but, uh, <laughs> it's been an action packed year, certainly for you as much as anyone else, Ms. President. Uh, oh yeah. There's been a lot of, uh, energy. I was just thinking like world issues. Yes. There's, you know, been a lot and I can't believe that what's on top of mind or, or, or at least people's minds regarding the media is Donald Trump still. Who? What did he do? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's just not mention him or his name or what he said, because that gives him more power, I think, even if we dislike what he says. Yes, though I am pleased that Jeb Bush called him, quote, unhinged, unquote. That was rather nice. When Dick Cheney says you've gone too far and you're un-American, maybe, you know, it's time to reflect on things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, dis he's disgusting. And I can say that because... It's our show. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I do want to make an announcement and I'll remind you all who are tuning in via the Progressive Voices Network or downloading us from Commonwealth Club. Um, you know, we're going to take the, the, the last two weeks of the year off and replay a bunch of our shows. And the reason being is because... You, we have to reflect that, you know, people celebrate different things and, and the holidays are the holidays and I need a break. Perfectly justifiable. <laughs> You've got some great shows to pick from this year. I think yeah. people can look forward to that. Yeah. And, you know, and the and the uh, the real reason behind that is also I'm gearing up for a major change in next year's lineup or not. I shouldn't say lineup, but uh, production schedule uh, in terms of the television show. So the television show is going weekly, Sunday nights, uh, 9.30 on awesome. Coffee TV. And um, and so sorry for those of you who are not in the Bay Area, but you can always catch the episode at michellemeow.com. Um, so, I, you know, I'm kind of busy with that. But that doesn't mean it's going to take away from the radio show. So that's one huge announcement I, I wanted to make uh, prematurely. The press release hasn't gone out. But, hey, lucky you guys. I think you should just tie a GoPro camera to your forehead and just 24 hours a day stream your life. 
Uh, let's say we don't do that. <laughs> All right, okay. let's get the program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today wrote a very interesting article, but also I think a very honest and raw article in which, um, you know, some of us have a tough time having this discussion. And I think post-marriage equality and uh, post-gay liberation, more and more people are willing to be honest and open about the shame that we face as LGBT people. There was once upon a time when it was against the law to, to, to be gay and uh, here we are today, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we, we you know, feel safe on 100% of the time. So our next guest is Joel Alcarez, who defines himself on his Huffington Post article as a writer, an activist, an event planner, a blogger, and I love this, a taco truck connoisseur. Let's welcome Joel Alcarez to the program. Joel, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for highlighting the best facts about myself. <laughs> so, wait, I just have to get this out of the way before we talk about your article. Um, I, I mean, uh, what makes you a taco truck connoisseur? Oh, I, you know, I go out in Los Angeles, I hunt down the road coaches. They don't have a health grading. I'm like, yep, this is authentic. And they have a lengua on their menu. And as you know, lengua is calzone, mm-hmm. so not many other places do really have calzon. Only the most authentic Mexican roach coaches have ah. calzon. So that's a little tidbit for you. I love it. I love it. Okay, so your article, The Dirtying of the Queer Body. And, um, you know, in the times of uh, people hooking up even uh, more so uh, digitally, I should say, using apps and using the internet and uh, getting to know strangers, and it's becoming, it's not, it, I, I, I don't want to say it's like, taboo or anything, but there was once upon a time when it was n- not uh, a uh, talked about thing. In today's world, it's like people are so open about being on Grindr and things like that. What do, what do, you, what do you think you mean by, by just using the word dirtying and, uh, and, and maybe perhaps explain why we still feel dirty? Well, I think it really does come down to the culture that we grew up in and in the West, um, I'm specifically going to say the West because how the rest of the world views gay culture is a lot different than how we view ourselves. And growing up, I mean, you have like shows like Will and Grace. I watched Will and Grace when I was a kid. I barely saw any man-on-man action. As much as I wanted Will to like make out with another guy, it never happened. The show was geared toward heterosexual audiences. Um, It kind of says a lot when you have to be covert about your sexuality in a show about people who are queer. Um, Also, um, most gay men are just born, they're not born like in San Francisco. They don't grow up within those spaces. They grow up in rural areas. They migrate towards the West or they migrate towards the East. And by that point, we're we're adults. And our stigma has been sort of pushed deep down inside of us. also, there's really a lack of uh, youth queer spaces. Uh, most of the time, we have to wait until we're 21 until we enter a, a gay space. Um, that's not counting bathhouses and saunas, but even then, you have to be 18 to enter those places. So really, it's, it's really hard to grow up because you pretty much grow up in a heterosexual paradigm, and not until you're a, an adult do you ever get to a chance to explore I mean, there, there are a few certain cases where you do have the privilege of 
removing yourself from that paradigm if you have supportive parents that take you to LGBT events. But for the most cases, we, we all grew up in a heterosexual world. And by that point, when we become adults, it's, you know, it's, um, we're not very proud of ourselves. And it really takes a long time for us to accept ourselves. And that's why it's so easy for us to go into bars, to go into these spaces and consume alcohol and take drugs just to feel okay feeling authentic with ourselves and, you know, reaching deep down and, like, feeling a gratification with our sexuality. And uh, that's really what my article was about. It was about me growing up in this little conservative town, seeing how everybody else reacted to gay people, and it just really made me feel uh, sort of like an outcast. It made me hide who I was. It made me fear for my physical safety. And my first experiences in the gay dating world weren't great. They were very, they, it was a very closeted experience. And I'm still to this day still trying to overcome a lot of negative associations with my sexuality. Uh, it causes a lot of intimacy problems. It causes a lot of sexual problems. And I think it's time we all just start talking about it and start talking about it in a sober way. I, I know it's scary, but I think we have to reach reach that point where we have to have an honest conversation with ourselves, how we could create better spaces for the next generation of queer people. Are, are you arguing that, that this is the experience of most gay people or people who come from a conservative town and, and face uh, disapproval and potential violence? I mean, certainly all the differences you can come up with, with, you know, different age, different uh, parts of the country, obviously different genders, um, you know, faith status, location, politics, all that kind of stuff. Um, people have different experiences. Or are you saying this is an actual across-the-board uh, issue for everybody? Well, I wouldn't, I'm not the type to generalize things because I hate to generalize things. I think this is a very common thing. Mostly, I will say this is a strong it hits the demographics with people of color, people who identify with different genders. Um, right now, we have in our culture the I feel that we have we idolize the white, gay, masculine sort of archetype, and anyone that falls outside of that is kind of subjected to the sort of this experience, even within our own community. Um, I would say I wouldn't say it's across the board, no, but I would say that it's a, a big proportion of our community is affected by stigmatization within our community and outside of our community in terms of expectations and in terms of not being able to feel secure and safe and self-validated to the point where they can be themselves. Joel, I was going to ask, I mean, uh, I feel like you're absolutely right in terms of uh, society in general, right? This being a heterosexual world, if not, and also patriarchal. But what about like how that applies within our own communities? Because I, I actually think that the themes that you talk about, the dirtying of our bodies, we we tend to perpetuate that for ourselves. And and I actually think that that also has to do with, you know, emerging from being oppressed and not, you know, not being included in certain in places. And it's almost like we have this bad behavior that we don't know how to get rid of. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I see it all the time on uh, social media apps. It's like um, you, I mean, if you message someone on Grindr, the, one of their first questions will be, uh, are you clean? And that automatically, you know, re- perpetuates this 
this idea that the gay body is dirty in a, in a way, and that we're looking for the exception to the rule, and we're just so afraid to, you know, just that even the idea that someone has an STI or is HIV positive to us, it's just so scary because for a long time, the I mean, if you look at our media, it's either all our movies, all our TV shows, so far, I mean, there have been changes recently, but so far, it's been the same narrative. It's been coming out of the closet and dealing with the repercussions to it, or it's AIDS, and it's uh, how having sex with another person could potentially end your life, and it's um, not a very psychosocial, healthy sort of environment to grow up in. I mean, I remember my first instance of a same-sex encounter when I was in my teen, in my teen years, uh, we were both virgins, but I still feared contracting HIV and dying. I mean, it's not, it's, the cues are, you, you sort of eat the cues up as you grow up because you live in that heterosexual world and they tell you all these scary things. And we do, we keep, we continue on with them as we get older. I mean, not many people are willing to say that they're HIV positive. Um, it's, I think it's changing because of PrEP. I'm on PrEP. And I've been able to sort of help overcome my fear with HIV by um, taking this little pill. And, you know, more people seem to be open about their status. And I've I educated myself in terms of, like, how to properly talk to someone with um, over, like, apps and stuff. Like, have you just been recently tested? Have uh, I, I, don't, I hate to use the word clean. I would rather say, are you healthy? Um, what... Um, when was the last time you took an STI test? And, uh, yeah, there are a bunch of things we do. Um, but, yeah, so that, that's kind of that's my perspective on the matter. Has your view changed since you've, you know, you're in Los Angeles now, a big giant city, and obviously not just, uh, you know, not a, a small conservative town, but with many different types of people, including within the, the LGBTQ community there. Um, I mean, are you seeing anyone who is you know, able to deal with this in, in healthy ways? Um, well, currently right now I'm in Seattle. I've been up oh, here sorry. working for, yeah, well, I'm going back to LA, but I've been in LA for a few years. Um, what I can say about Seattle is that uh, the state of Washington uh, pays for Truvada. Uh, a lot of people up here are open about PrEP, and I've talked to guys who are HIV positive, um, and they've been like, it's been crazy to just all of a sudden have more people be okay with the fact that I am HIV positive and that's not an issue. Um, and I'm seeing it up here. It's interesting because more and more people seem to be open about it and there seems to be a less of a stigma if you're HIV positive. Now, of course, that doesn't take away from the fact that if you are HIV positive, there's still even there's such a fear surrounding your status that um, a lot of a lot of people who are HIV positive, they it's easier for them to start abusing drugs because a they not only have to face their stigma with their sexuality, but b now they have to face the stigma with their HIV status. And the study I was doing uh, research on, or the study that I read upon, uh, they were talking about how HIV people who are HIV positive are more likely to engage in illicit drug abuse because they are concerned about the way society and even people within their own community perceive them, and it makes it 
a lot easier for them to just say, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll take drugs to forget, to escape, and, you know, just for once, just enjoy my body without feeling uh, like it's such a stigmatized thing that I have to carry around with me. Right. I have one last question uh, before we let you go, Joel, and uh, thank you so much for joining us here today, and I really did enjoy your article. We need to have these conversations more often. So we get, you know, we have a good chunk of uh, younger listeners here who tune into the Progressive Voices Network. Um, what do you think, I mean, you know, is is at least part of the solution? I mean, you know, we're not sitting here saying that, hey, this is how it should be going forward, and this is how, you know, we can combat um, the negative feelings of our bodies. But what would you say to a young person who might be feeling the same? Well, I guess I think I'll put it in a way where it's easier for me to sort of give advice. I, if I were to go back and talk to 15, 16-year-old Joel who's having just a tough time just even accepting his sexuality, I'd be like, Given his situation where he's in a conservative town where he doesn't have access to LGBT resources, I'd, um, I'd say, hey, you're not, you're not disgusting. You're not going to go to hell. What you're feeling is perfectly natural. And the intimacy you will share with men in the future, it'll be very beautiful. It'll be pleasurable. And it's okay to feel pleasure out of it, and it's okay to let yourself go, and you shouldn't feel like you need to be pressured into doing other things to be part of a community because you think it's something everybody else is doing. But I think you should, I think you should really, really love yourself because I think that it's pretty, we get this wonderful, I think it's pretty wonderful that we're gay because we get to experience things the normal population doesn't get to experience. And, You'll have so many crazy adventures, and being gay is really, it really is, you'll, you'll see it soon that it'll be something that you'll never, you'll never regret in the future because you, you will make some amazing friends, you will be inspired by life, and you've just gotten to explore something that not many other people get to explore, so in a way you're kind of a, you're kind of a, a frontier man. Um, Frontier, so man. yes, yeah. a pioneer. Uh, you're a pioneer. You're pushing the boundaries. You are. <laughs> queer I love people it. Have, yeah, queer people have pushed the boundaries for society. If they set trends, and you get to be one of those people because you don't see the world like everybody else does. I love it, Joel. Thank you so much for joining us here this uh, this morning on our program, and thank you for your article. That was really great. Oh yeah, no worries. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on your show. You can check out Joel's article by heading to HuffingtonPost.com in searching the title, The Dirtying of the Queer Body. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll talk about LGBTQI families and, uh, and how we can um, communicate with our children in a very techie way. So don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this incredible, beautiful Tuesday, December 8th. And I only know it's December 8th because (laughs) tomorrow is my partner's birthday, so... (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for joining us. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us today. That's right. Uh, John's mic is not potted up. Fong! Fong! <laughs> knock, knock, Fong! John, are you there? I don't know. Am I here? You are here. Woo! I exist. So have you ever felt dirty about your body? Mm, no. That's kind of what I was getting at. I think different people have different upbringings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, so, you know, growing up in a small town, it can be very different for different people. Well, and that's why our next guest is very important, because I think that she's a super mom. She's an incredible woman. She's extremely intelligent. She is what, you know, she's like life to like human life. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that it, and because she is uh, creating, you know, things in this lifetime during this this time of of, uh, you know, advancement of technology in order to be able to communicate with your children effectively. And so we've had her on before, um, and uh, I'm very happy to have her on again. Uh, Let's welcome Dr. Vivian Ming to the program. Vivian, thanks so much for joining us. In studio, by the way. Oh, I absolutely love to be in studio. I love to see people's faces. Talking over the phone is so depersonalized. (laughs) That's right. Well, speaking of, you know, depersonalization, uh, but being more personal, talk to us about Muse, your new company that uh, you've launched that, that basically allows for you to communicate with your children, but in a very effective way. Absolutely. So um, Muse is this if I may say myself, this amazing product that we built um, at uh, Sokos, which is a company my wife and I founded, God, four years ago now with a former student of mine. And I feel like I've been kind of aimed at this moment for about 10 years now. Um, And boy, did it come to a head when I became a parent. My son is eight, my daughter's four, and how often I would just be 
I mean, I've got all this privilege. I've got PhDs. Uh, my wife specifically studies learning and children. And yet I didn't cry as much at any other point in my life. Nothing. And I've had some interesting experiences as when my first child was born. And that first year, just please, if anyone would tell me what to do, I would have done it. Anything. And so he thought, well, there's this amazing, I mean, hundreds of years of research now in the scientific world, decades and decades of, of little scientific research tracking people across their lifetime saying, wow, this is what works. Um, just amazing findings that maybe we'll have a chance to go into, but make a little change here, uh, make a special effort there. And 20, 30 years later, the lives of children really around the world can be changed. And I thought, what if we could combine three things? My, my passion about maximizing human potential, uh, the incredible technology that exists in the world today in terms of artificial intelligence and machine learning, and this experience of, wow, could we take that moment that I think every parent must experience, if they're anything like me, every day, can we take that moment and actually have a very, very smart little system send them a message and say, you know what? Here's the one thing you can do tonight that will have the biggest impact on your child's life. And huh. then again the next day and the next. It's like a smart uh, therapist. But maybe I'm looking at it from a different way, John. You had a question. I was just saying, give us some examples of, of what are some of those uh, little touch points that you can give people that will change things. Absolutely. You know, we've actually tested this all the way from kindergartners in Texas mm -hmm. through to college students. Um, and so for those kindergartners, for example, um, here's one that we sent out, uh, driven all this driven by our experience of actually working with those kids. Hey, dad, Maria's really interested in seahorses right now. Take 15 minutes and talk to her about seahorses. It sounds so innocuous, but it's very specific. There's no, wait, what book should I read? Where, what park should I go to? Every message is you read it, get a text message, pick it up on WeChat or WhatsApp or wherever you are in the world, and you read that, and you could turn to your kid and do it right then. Mm -hmm. So Maria, not her real name, was chatting away about seahorses all day long. We picked up on that. It was, forgive my being a scientist here, it was an endogenous interest of hers, came out from inside her. Um, and then being able to connect, imagine you're Maria, five years old, in this case, uh, in, a, in a migrant um, family in, in border Texas, and suddenly your dad talk, starts talking to you about seahorses. And being able to have that impact, being able to play that role every day with all these families is just amazing. So do the, should the parents, do, when they're using this, do, what do they do? Do they feed in the information about the child or does the child... Yeah, so that's the other side. We've experimented with so much. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff work we've done in colleges, we plug into the computer's data system. So we see all the work the students do. We wow. see the feedback they get from the faculty. But with the Muse, what we're releasing for parents, it's really simple. Once a day, the system asks a single question. You answer those questions, uh, which can be entirely via text message or an app, whatever you like, mm -hmm. and the system 
it understands the AI asks the question in the first place because it's the single most informative question it could have asked you. And then it uses that, plus two other pretty cool things. Whenever you take a photo to share with grandma, CC Muse. Every now and then when you're reading with your kids, hit a button, grab 30 seconds of audio. The AI can actually understand those photos and the audio and use it to make its predictions and offer its recommendations. Whew, this is like beyond my intelligence level. But I mean, I have so many questions. We just opened up the uh, interview with the fact that, you know, as LGBT people and having gone through an oppressed time in our life and our parents not really nurturing, you know, who we are as people um, that, that has had a negative impact of our adult life. I wonder with something like Muse, I, I, I mean, I think, you probably have already thought about this and you're 10 steps ahead of us uh, because as a transparent, you probably have thought about, you know, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity into this type of software. Have you? Yes. Is it? Yeah. So um, for initial test launch that we're doing, um, this feature is enabled, but we have the system set up broadly, not just for the issues you were just bringing up. If your child has a special needs, let us know and we can actually send targeted specialized recommendations. So if you're dealing with, with uh, diabetes like my son is or autism or anything, we can tailor the recommendations to take that into account. But this specific thing, it's funny, you mentioned earlier about small town and how mm -hmm. people come from different backgrounds. My father was from truly small town Kansas, the kind of town where Kansans say, no, 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 let me know where. And then when I tell them, oh, it's Hartner, they, that that blank look on their face <laughs> tells the whole story. Yeah. Um, you just you need to push the tumbleweeds out of the way to see where <laughs> his house used to be. Um, so he's passed on, but when I was going through transition, he totally shocked me by struggling. I didn't expect it. He's a very progressive guy. He's a guy who did, in fact, genuinely, some of his best friends were gay. Some of his very best friends in the world. And I thought, wow, he's the one guy that I knew would be on my side. And it was quite the opposite. Everyone else really, I mean, friends were amazing. My mom, after a brief challenge, really came around, took him a long time. Wow. That small town Kansas kid had trouble with seeing his new daughter. Um, I would love to have been able to offer him something that could have made him understand, uh, you know, particularly this way, because it's hard for me being the person he's so worked up about. To, to really understand it. So we've had talks with people about um, using it to support aging, using it for mental health. Uh, one of my companies right now, we're building tools to uh, help people with uh, bipolar disorder, um, using different technology, but again, just amazing. Carry your phone with you and it can recognize uh, the state you're in and, and pick up and make recommendations, depression, uh, stuff we built for diabetes, specifically for my son. It's, it's not that I want to overblow what's possible in the world. All of these are incredibly cha challenging, and we're not going to magically cure them. But imagine how much life could be, how much better it could be if, in the moment, you needed a little extra help, whatever that is, help dealing with your parents, help knowing what a new ache and pain is going to be as you're moving on in life. Um, help with a child that has a true challenge in their life. Uh, the amazing thing is we're simply saying, let's live in a world where everyone reaches their full potential. Everybody. And you can think of it selfishly. Like, I want to live in that world. 
I want to know what we could build if it involved, let's be frank, 10% of the population, 20 versus the tiny fraction of a percent it is today. Um, and maybe we can dream about it being 50, 60, 100 someday. This is so fascinating. John? So I've got someone I know who is a single mother, teenage boy, son, and the kinds of problems that, you know, that can happen of the son not listening to the mother and arguing, arguing, arguing. Is this something that would help her? Yeah, I, so, you know, what it's based on is an enormous amount of research, mm -hmm. uh, some of which I alluded to in a recent TED Talk, which will be released next year. Nice. Um, where we looked in detail, uh, including with working professionals. So I have a database of 122 million working professionals, wow. and we looked at what actually predicted career success. And you know what's amazing? When I combine that with my education research, the same things that are predictive of life outcomes in a four- and five-year-old are predictive of career outcomes in a 20-year-old programmer, of the life outcomes of a 30-year-old salesperson, of a 50-year-old CEO. In fact, I even did this. The, the, what distinguishes the world's greatest skateboarders from everyone else? It's the same thing. So it's clearly not grades. Right. It's not where you went to school. Um, it's not a specific skill set. I wish it were, because then we could just have a class, six weeks to better life. Right. Um, but being able to take a mom or someday a boss, or doctor, a teacher, and being able to say, here's one thing you can do today that will have the biggest impact on your child's life, on your employee's life. In other words, hey mom, here's how to get the most out of your kid. Hey manager, here's how to get the most out of your employee in a way that's actually gonna be meaningful to that employee for the rest of their life. Mm. Well, that's great, because you're really helping the child and, and the, the, the 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 staff person or whatever, but uh, you're really also addressing that that sense of aloneness that a lot of parents feel. I'm the only person going through this, or none of my other friends have a child who's a problem child, or none of my you know everyone else, all the other managers in this company seem to be doing just fine. Why am I screwing up? Um, you're you're kind of getting around that that isolation that people feel when they get a, they get a problem they don't know. Yeah, how to solve. it's it is. Um... I mean, let's be frank, uh, 10 years ago, I went through gender transition. Mm -hmm. And 10 years isn't all that long ago, and, and at least as old as I feel nowadays. <laughs> um, and yet even back then, in what I wouldn't call the early days of the internet, it still was very isolating. Mm -hmm. My wife and I were, um, you know, we were scouring web pages, old static web pages, just people throwing up their own thoughts in a blog, <laughs> trying to piece together what we were going to do because for us it was planning a family at the same time as it was planning transition and new jobs and finishing our PhDs all at the same time, wow. then moving back to the Bay Area um, because why not? Um, and it's... Uh, that sense of loneliness, like no one else in the world knows, that's really starting to go away for people going through gender transition. Mm -hmm. But what seems like such a, a unique and isolating experience, actually, I agree. I, I never felt as isolated as that first year with my first child. Like, who else has ever had this experience before? Well, as we look at hundreds of millions of people, right. we see you're not alone. Yeah. Your kid is a special person that needs your, you need those targeted, unique recommendations. But 
we see these patterns. A kid like Maria really needed her dad to give her support for her endogenous interests and to talk to her. That was what she needed that night. I uh, and I would love to have this discussion like forever, just because it's so fascinating. Unfortunately, we're running up against time. So, Vivian, uh, this product is out, uh, or or is it beta testing right now? So, yeah, we're in a sort of a soft release right now, where we're testing the product. Um, early next year, we're going to do the hard release. Uh, you can go to our website at socoslearning.com and read all about it. You can read research. You can see a video of me as a cartoon character because God knows I needed that in my life. <laughs> um, and learn everything about it. Uh, and one of the most exciting things is we just incorporated our nonprofit wing. And so part of our goal is not only to sell at a very, very modest cost, believe me, um, here in the United States and, and elsewhere in the first world, but we're literally giving away the text uh, SMS version of this for free all over the world. We're working with big organizations like General Electric to wow. try and reach uh, countries like Nigeria, South Africa, India, um, just had conversations with a group in China. Um, can we make a difference for people living in rural locations that have no access to specialized technology? And I'm so impressed. I feel like I need to steal a piece of her hair, like just yank one strand out to be like, and frame it. I have a piece of hair from Dr. Vivian Ming. I'm going to start using Muse and hope I get a text to, so I know what to do <laughs> when you say things like that. <laughs> Vivian, thank you so much for joining us here today. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to keep having her on because I'm sure of it. She's probably going to come out with something tomorrow. <laughs> Again, um, we're going to, you know, instead of taking a quick break because we have such amazing, incredible guests today, uh, I think we'll just play a transition song. And our next guest, um, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about uh, film and we'll talk about uh, rural Southern life. So uh, stay with us for just a quick second while we switch out guests. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. That was like a uh, an amateur NPR move right there. You know, play a little of the song coming up and down as a break. And uh, there you have it. And then we have to start talking like this. Welcome to Sunday morning on NPR. <laughs> you do that so well. I'm way too excited and happy. Hey, guys, what's going on? Progressive Voices. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've been enjoying the program and, uh, you know, just um, trying to fit everybody in. There's so many incredible people in our community and, and some deep thinkers, such as our, our next guest, Rosie Aber, who's a, uh, a filmmaker and has a new show out. Um, the, it's Instababy. It's, a, it's New Deep South, which ventures into the lives of queer youth to explore the tangled and complex nature of sexual identity and family in the 21st century American South. We've had this discussion for you know, many times here in this program and even before I started the radio show and it continues to be that complex. So Rosie, thanks so much for joining us here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so the, I, I mentioned, um, I mentioned new deep South. Tell us about that. Is it a, a series, a, a web series? I wasn't clear. I apologize. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so, yes, we are a documentary web series um, that's by a new online platform called The Front, which is um, media that's created by women, although I'm sort of like gender non-binary, so I totally identify as a woman, but um, definitely socialized as one. Um, but uh, it is essentially a new media platform that looks to support like really edgy um, stories that haven't been heard before as well as like curation of art and um, video and different stuff like that. So um, they actually haven't officially launched. It's, um, they've soft launched and they're online at the front and you can look at their soft launch website and you can sign up and, um, and they're pretty fantastic. I love it. So. I love it. And I love it especially when there's great content out there that uh, we all have access to. So let's talk about New Deep South, which um, follows a couple, Lauren, or I'm sorry, Tony and Keita, a queer couple in Jackson, Mississippi. And they, they try to start a family in a state where same-sex adoption is still illegal. And, you know, my next question was, I mean, what popped up for me when I read the description was, I mean, how? Can they still do that? Um, and I think the, the first episode explores that, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think what, what tends to happen, and, and, you know, with queer folks, is, like, there's one set of, like, rules or whatever that, that society sort of tells us how, how we should operate, and when those don't work, then we just um, we come up with our own ways of doing things. And that's kind of what I love about being queer, too, is just, like, the ways that we sort of Frankenstein our families together and um, and make community out of out of just who we have around us and that's really what they were doing you know it's like gay marriage was just legalized in Mississippi like that was something that folks thought wasn't going to happen like I, I think a lot of when we were there it wasn't legal actually and a lot of people were just like when are we going to get our chance you know so and adoption is was definitely you know not something that's legal so um. But yet it has Mississippi as the highest percentage of queer families in the country because usually from, from prior, um, you know, partnerships and stuff. So it's kind of an interesting conundrum, but I think Tony and Gita just basically, like, found, like any, you know, sort of digital native, like, figured it out through the internet and <laughs> through Instagram, you know. Yeah, and that kind of touches on something that, that occurred to me. I was watching it and th- I'm just really impressed with how open and frank they were talking about really you know, their relationship, what they're trying to do, how they're doing it. And tying this into the Instagram, it it kind of gave me the thought of, you know, a lot of people probably wouldn't want to be that open. But on the other hand, if you're already used to doing that and really sharing your life and sharing details and all that online, it's kind of another step in that direction. Or were they open and easy to get to talk so openly about their lives? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we... So basically, the our series is um, a six-part series, and it um, we follow like different characters each episode. So we were on a different episode, and we were at this sort of like underground club in Jackson. That's like really kind of just like you know you would never know that it existed. It's just like in a kind of grimy warehouse, and and we saw them, and I was like, oh my god, there's a story there. Um, and so we just kind of found them and pulled them outside in the parking lot and like sat them down on the car. Like that first interview, like that was the first time that we ever spoke to them. Really? Um, yeah, totally. It was like three in the morning. <laughs> just <laughs> out of the club. I think Tony afterwards was like, why did you talk to me when I was wasted? Um, so, you know, it's just like, it, they were just, yeah, they were very open. Cause I think also too, it's like, you know, they like having queer people around. Our whole crew was, was queer. So it was like, 
you know, they really, they liked, um, they liked being able to talk to us openly in that way. So I, I was really moved. One of the women, uh, says, quote, feeling safe. I haven't felt that yet. Unquote. It was just like, wow. I mean, she's worried about losing her wife. She's worried about going to work every day, you know, worried about her wife's safety in the city where there's one murder every day. Um, oh, just what, what was your reaction as you got to know them and you got to know what was driving each of them? Yeah. Um, well, I was, I mean, first of all, really impressed by Justin because she's 22 and she has it like more together yeah. than a lot of, you know, I'm like 31 and, you know, like. I'm like, Tony might have it more together than I do at this point. Um, you know, she's very, she knows what she wants. She's like, you know, and she's taken a very kind of like straight path to get there, I think, as a result of feeling insecure. You know, like the whole thing about being, what really, really got to me and like what I feel like is really tender about the story is the fact that, you know, she was kicked out when she was younger and, yeah. you know, there's a piece that we didn't put in there, but, you know, she's like living in her car, living in Walmart parking lots, like, you know, and it's just so many folks that I know have been through similar things in their teenagehood folks of usually like kind of a little bit of an older generation. I think this generation has a little bit less of that, but, um, you know, so the fact that she is looking so hard to create a family was really touching to me. Um, because I think that, you know, obviously when you don't have a really strong family or, or a safe home when you're younger, then oftentimes you go looking for that. And I was just impressed by how creatively, they did it. You know? They did it, and and her wife is is t- does come from a very strong family, very supportive family too. I mean, almost the opposite of, of the upbringing of of Tony. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we we actually met Keita's dad, and he was like a total sweetheart, and mm-hmm. um, you know, she's like a total daddy's girl, and that's really <laughs> cute. And we like that that went against stereotype too, because it's like. You know, I feel like folks are often, at least when, when pro- the whole Prop 8 thing was happening, I actually was living in Oakland at the time, and I just remember people being like, you know, people of color throwing Prop 8 and making it so that, you know, like, that it's not, so that gay people can't get married, all this crap around that, and that was, you know, or that there was a conservative African-American community, and that was all, like, bullshit, basically, excuse my language. Um, but what I what I like about this couple was, like, you know, you would think, you might think that, the white family would be more, you know, open or understanding or something. And it's, it wasn't that way. Like they, they sort of bulk like easy stereotypes in every step of the way. Yeah. Um, like they never, they never conform to any sort of stereotypes. So Rosie, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I'd love to continue our discussion about new deep South. So stay with us. Great. Thanks. The Michelle Miao show continues right after this. listening to the progressive voices network streaming the best in progressive talk 24 7 keep the progressive conversation going on on facebook like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices on the progressive voices facebook page we update the stories that our hosts like tom hartman stephanie miller bill press and leslie marshall will be talking about during their shows and we share great news commentaries opinion pieces and videos from all over the progressive world always progressive always on be part of the progressive conversation like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices 
The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Uh, our guest on the phone is Rosie Aber, who's a uh, filmmaker, and she's got a new uh, show out called New Deep South, and has, uh, we, we have seen episode one so far. New Deep South ventures into the lives of queer youth to explore the tangled and complex nature of sexual identity and family in the 21st century American South. And the first episode follows a couple in Jackson, Mississippi, a lesbian couple who are trying to have or who start a family uh, basically in a state where same-sex adoption is still illegal. Rosie, I wanted to to jump into, you know, uh, queer youths and and the resilience of people in our communities. And, and it, it just seems that more and more stories are being told throughout this entire country. Um, not not necessarily from big urban cities like San Francisco, New York. Uh, do you think that, um, you know, perhaps the resilience level is different from queer youths in the big city versus queer youths from uh, places like Jackson, Mississippi? Hmm. That's, that's an interesting question um, that I haven't totally considered. I mean, I think there's different levels of sort of like tolerance and, and support. Um, but in terms of resilience, I think it's hard to say. I mean, also, it's funny. I've, I've worked with youth for like 10 years. I used to teach high school in Oakland, actually. And, um, you know, even currently I volunteer with um, queer youth making films and, and stuff like that. So it's, I feel like I, I have a beat on that. But I don't know that there's a real difference. I think they're just different struggles. Like, um, like right now I, I work with queer homeless youth um, in L.A. And you know, that's like a really difficult struggle and they don't have supports, a whole lot of support systems. And, and similarly in the South, I think maybe the difference is like visibility um, because in LA, of course, there's like tons of queer folks who are visible. And, you know, like one of the episodes that we did within the Delta of Mississippi and it's about um, a really sweet kid who wants to transition and has never met a trans person before. Um, and so, and he still goes by he, but he, you know, we asked him, like, have you ever met anyone who's trans? And he's like, no. And everything that he figured out about being trans was on the internet. So I think, you know, I feel like 
um, they're just sort of different struggles. But with with the internet and with technology, I think people can sort of find community yeah. virtually. I, I wanted to follow up on that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stories from older uh, gay gentlemen, especially here in San Francisco, who talk about coming to the big city to be out and to be gay and to be supported. Uh, I don't know if... Um, I don't know if that's still, I mean, I think that, yeah, you know, LGBTQ or queer youths are diversifying that, you know, it's not necessarily always, that's not an option for them right now is to move to the big city and it, it isn't realistic to live off of $50 in your pocket. I feel like if you came here in San, to San Francisco today with $50, you would, that would be a ticket back home. Um, basically. And so kind of like what are you, you, that uh, touching on that whole aspect of being able to create their own communities. That was the reason why I thought, you know, queer youth today have this level of, of, uh, tolerance and resilience and being able to overcome their issues. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, queer pilgrimage is sort of like, just like a cornerstone of, of a lot of our community's narrative. You know, I think there are a lot of folks who made pilgrimages sort of to the city to, to get away from really bad situations and youth continue to do that. Um, but I do think that, you know, the internet has, has globalized things in this way um, that makes it so that, you know, maybe folks can stay where they're from because, I mean, that was another thing about Tony and Keita is like they're inherently Southern, almost like in terms of identity before being gay was like them being Southern, you know, like, and that's the interesting thing about the religious piece, you know, and why it was so important for us to, to make sure that when we talked about their, you know, about, you know, queer youth in Mississippi, that it wasn't like hate to sin type style, like, you know, Bible something. I mean, that, that's like, there's, that's certainly a piece of it, but that's like, you know, definitely not their entire identity. So, um, and my co-creator and producer who couldn't be here today, Lauren Chaffee was really big on that because she spent um, three years living in Mississippi. So it was huge on making sure that the representation was not, you know, stereotypical and just, um, you know, kind of what, what we normally see. Sure. Yeah. Have Tony and Keita seen this uh, series yet? Yeah. Totally. What, what, what was their reaction? They like it. <laughs> they, they really like it. Um, yeah, there's been sort of nothing but support. Um, you can follow them on Instagram, too. Oh, great. <laughs> they're, they're always on there. Their relationship goes up and down regularly. So you can, you know, it's like watching, watching, uh, continuing their story through Instagram. So, I, I it, you know, it's, it's, um, I came out, it was like 19. So that was <laughs> so over 15 years ago. And the internet was just not as popular then. And so we were still doing things like, hanging out at bars and clubs. Um, it, it's just so, it's so interesting to me that the internet is just real, could be considered like a whole new other place to, to hang out, to live, to have an identity. Uh, I, I would think that that is, um, that is what keeps queer youths, uh, you know, strong today. But, but maybe I'm, I'm over my head on that statement, Rosie. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. And I think that, it's different, like, being from our generation versus being from, like, Tony and Kita's, um, where, yeah, like, obviously we know the Internet, we use the Internet, we, like, use Instagram and our devices and all that stuff, but we're not digital natives in the same way. And so, like, I think that we do rely more on, like, going to the bar and going to the club and all this stuff. And I think, um, you know, it is really fascinating to explore, like, cyber cyberspace as, like, a home or your phone is being a home 
like, you know, a lot of the homeless youth that I work with, like their phone is like literally their home because they're homeless, you know? And so thinking about um, the ways in which you can connect that way, I don't think it's perfect. You know, I think there's a lot of, there are a lot of um, nuances and complications to that, but, um, but definitely, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. I think in, in it's constructed differently now. In telling these stories, um, do you think that the South could look different in because because uh, kids like, or I shouldn't say kids, you know, that's so condescending, but queer youths and and other youth spaces, uh, diverse youth um, groups and communities, you know, are putting it out there on the uh, the internet, which is worldwide. Do you think that that has the potential to change the culture of you know place like the South? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so because you know, for example, like towns like um, the next episode we're going to visit the town of Indianola, which is where BB King is from, is in the Delta, and it's super sleepy and small and feels like, you know, still feels like 1950s in a way. But at the same time, how can it be like 1950s when all the kids have phones and are Snapchatting <laughs> and are like, you know, like our protagonist Austin is learning about transitioning through the internet, you know, so I think that definitely, like, the digital world changes the real world, um, and so, yeah, I think it's changing, but I think that, you know, the South is one of the slower regions to change, and it, it is so culturally rich, and it is kind of, like, stayed in what it is, so I don't know that it would change as fast, but, yeah, definitely just, you know, technological globalization, I guess. <laughs> So for our listeners who want to see this, where should they go? How can they get this? Yeah, so um, you guys can go to thefront.com um, and sign up to um, get, you know, like updates and things like that. Um, also, there are links to it on my website, which is www.rosiehaber.com. Um, and you can follow um, my uh, co-creator and me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is ro under slash z, and um, my co-creator Lauren Chaffee is l a c i o f f i l a Chaffee. Um, and yeah, we're going to be putting out lots of great stuff, and we're super excited to have a conversation around these pieces. So would love would love any feedback, shoutouts, anything like that. Oh, we definitely will continue to do that. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you so much for your work. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, guys. And that wraps up the show. Wow. I mean, we haven't done that before, you know, three different interviews and stuff, and that went by really fast. So hopefully you learned something and you had a good time just as much as we did. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thanks so much for joining us.